following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. It's here. It's Tuesday. If you haven't shopped yet, you're officially a procrastinator. And you can convince yourself that a Visa gift card is a personal gift. It's not, but you can tell yourself that. And uh, anyway, we're, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, when I think about Christmas, amidst all of the presents and pageantry and parties, movies and music, lights, trees, and traffic, it's very easy to dismiss the real reason for this season. It's easy to do. And so today, to start, I would just love to read the greatest words that have ever been spoken to humanity. It's so powerful. Just as it is written, there's no need for modification or refurbishment. This absolutely incredible, just the way it is. It is the greatest story ever. And uh, I know a lot of us have heard this story before, but can I just jar you out of familiarity mode for just a moment and into wonder mode? Can we all be kids again and just stand absolutely amazed at the wonder of this story? As it reads in Luke chapter 2, it says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I love that moment, by the way, that the angel shows up to the shepherds, which in this society were bottom-of-the-barrel people. Uh, They could not even go to worship at the temple because they were religiously unclean due to their jobs. They hung out with sheep all day. And so they were really the lowest of the low in the pecking order of the Bethlehem crowd. And yet, that is who God chose to inform first. That is beautiful and a message in and of itself. And I don't know what the shepherds saw that night, but this angel could have been six foot two or 62 feet. But it shows up with the ferocity and the glory of God all around And I don't think that the shepherds go, oh, I bet this is the Christmas story we've read about in the Old Testament. No, they had no idea what was going on. All they know is they're standing in the presence of an angel and they're shaken in their shepherd's robes. So much so that the angel has to say the typical opening line that angels say when they encounter people on planet Earth, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Come on, that's exciting. That's good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There's some people that would say, well, this is old news. This is restrictive. This is boring. This is negative. No, no, no. This book, this story, these pages are life-giving. They are living. They are active. They are good news that bring great joy. And let me just say this. If you're kind of, there's a simple equation this morning. If you are waning in to the Christmas season, And you're not experiencing great joy. And I'm not talking about a little happiness here and there and some moments of laughter. I'm talking about a real sense of inside joy. If you're not experiencing that, perhaps it's because you've disconnected from the good news. Because the great joy comes from the good news. And the good news produces great joy. And the miracle this morning is it's for all the people. 
It's for everybody in the house today. I love that. And I'm sure there's somebody, maybe somebody in the balcony going, I don't know, Reef. I don't know. Man, this, this whole Jesus stuff and the Christmas and the music and all, it's for everybody but me. You don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. And I'm so thankful the angel of the Lord didn't say, I come to bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Except that guy. He ain't getting it. He didn't say that. It's for all the people. If you can hear my voice in this room, on our podcast, or via our live stream, it's for you. The miracle of Christmas is for you. Amen. He goes on to say, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. Wow. I love Christmas. I love the giving and receiving of gifts. I love the celebration of it all, but this, this is the hope and wonder of Christmas. This is all we need. Truly, this is what it's all about. This is all we need. My, uh, my father-in-law let me borrow his nativity set, which is kind of a big deal. This is his prized possession. He certainly has possessions that are more valuable than this, but this is his screensaver on his phone. He loves this so much. This is a beautiful set. I love it as well. I think one of the reasons I like it so much is when it's set up correctly, all of the figures, all of the characters are looking and focused on baby Jesus. It's pretty neat. You probably have something like this similar in your home. And it's just a picture of the story we just read about. I remember growing up, my parents had these large metal tins and uh, they had our nativity scene, and my mother would wrap each of the figurines into old copies of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal newspaper, and I would, I would bring them down from the attic, and then I would like try to figure out which figure was which, and you could always tell which one was Jesus, because he was the smallest. But I'd take out the pieces and set up the scene. You, of course, have baby Jesus, and uh, Jesus is there, and you've got his parents here, Mary and Joseph. You have the shepherd, which we talked about a moment ago. He was the working class. The shepherds represent the working class. They were working that night. They had the graveyard shift that night. And then you have the three wise men or the magi or the we three kings of Orient are. We don't really know that there were three. We just assume there were three. There could have been more. Uh, We just know they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And actually, I hate to burst your Christmas bubble, but they probably shouldn't be in the nativity set. Uh, They probably didn't present the gifts to Jesus until Jesus was about two years old. But the mantle looks so much better with them there, right? But if we were going to be more historically accurate, we should probably move them off the mantle into the bedroom or or the bathroom and then every day just inch them closer for the next two years until they finally make it to Jesus in 2020. That would be more accurate. (laughs) And then a lot of your nativity sets have these animals, right? These... uh, farm animals, because if you remember the story, as we read a minute ago, Joseph and Mary, Joseph was from the town of Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth, but they had to go to Bethlehem because there was a census being taken and you had to go to your own town to register. So I would have to go back to Snyder, Texas. You'd have to go to your town of origin to register. And when they get to Bethlehem, there's no room in the inn. There's no, there was no booking available. 
And so they sent them out to the stable, and that's why Jesus was born in a manger, which was really just a feeding trough for these animals. The first time that we see something like this used in history was in 1223, when St. Francis of Assisi kind of was credited for creating this or inventing this. And since then, there's been lots of variations of the nativity. You've seen it on your Christmas cards and on your lawns, and you probably have one of these on your mantle. We have one next to our fireplace on a side table in our living room. The church I grew up in had a living nativity where different people would dress up as the characters and they'd act out the part. And all these variations are just trying to remind us of the reason that we celebrate this season. But I'm not really concerned about how the nativity is set up in your home or on your lawns. I'm actually more concerned about this afternoon. How this is set up in your hearts. Because I I think that this is a picture of life. Your life and my life. See, all of us have something that our eyes are focused on. We have something at the center that everything else is revolving around. That we draw energy and strength from. In our solar system, the sun is at the center. And everything revolves around the sun. And for us, it, it, it should be Jesus. And we know that it should be set up this way. And that's why the setup's really the most critical part. You can have all the pieces, but if you don't set it up right, it's not going to look right. And so you gotta, you got to set everything up. And Here's a thought I want you to marinate on. If you've ever said to yourself, I go to church, I'm, I'm, I'm in church on Christmas Eve Eve, for crying out loud. I have a Bible, I believe in Jesus, I, I mean, I'm into this thing. But man, my life's a wreck. It's a total mess. It doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. Could it be that your life just set up wrong? Could it be? Now, I'm not saying you took Jesus out of your life. Maybe he just moved to the peripheral. Maybe you just, you just you removed him to an hour on Sundays or a prayer before your meals. And it's not that you took him out of the scene. He's just not the central focus. Let me give you an example. So, We'll start with the shepherd. Okay, so the shepherd, sometimes we do this. We make the the shepherd the central focal point of our lives. Now, the shepherd may represent work. They were working that night, so they represent work. You're 8 to 5, you're Monday through Friday. And if I'm honest, sometimes this this gets a hold of my heart. And it's tricky for me because I work for the Lord, but that's quite different from my relationship with the Lord. And I saw that, that line gets a little blurred for me sometimes. And sometimes I put work as a central. And it makes sense that that would be the central thing because that's what you spend the most of your time doing. In fact, 90 plus percent of you, this is your social life as well. You're spending all of your time. Most of your friends are from work. But here's the problem. When that's the central figure of your life, you're going to have issues eventually. You're going to have problems. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. And in those moments, you're going to lean in. You're going to lean onto whatever is at the central part that you're revolving your life around. And when that happens, your job and your employer, they can't carry that. You're asking them to play a role they were never intended to play. And so you're going to put all this pressure on them that they, they can't carry. Let me give you a different example. Okay, so we'll put the shepherd back. And let's use one of these, these wise men. And they're going to represent uh, wealth. They were obviously very wealthy. They brought gifts of gold. And in those days, myrrh was incredibly expensive. So they're wealthy. They represent education. They represent dreams and success and fame. That's who they were. 
Now, nobody in the room would probably say, Reed, I, I put my hope in my wealth. I put my hope in my success. But the truth is, is some of us do. I have a friend who um, doesn't live in Austin, and he called me late one night. It was atypical for him to call this late. I knew something was up. And we hadn't talked in a minute, and so we were just doing the small talk. But I'm like, I know you're calling for a purpose for this. So I start doing some investigating. And it turns out that, that he grew up in a home, they didn't have a lot of wealth. In fact, they struggled. And so he has this extra pressure to be a, a super provider for his family and give them everything that they could ever want or need. So he works, consequently, 60 plus hours a week. And then he picks up side jobs on the weekend to make extra money. And they do have all the things that they could possibly ever want. Except for his family sit at home screaming, hey, we need you. We miss you. Come home. So he calls me this night to tell me, Reed, I just found out my wife is having an affair. And Jesus, I, I would say, because I, I know it, it's in his life. It's just he's not the central figure of his life. He's out here somewhere. And the central thing for this young man is, is, is this. It's wealth and it's success. And yet his whole nativity is blowing up today. Now, thankfully, they both want restoration. They're both looking for healing. I've been counseling via FaceTime. You can pray for them. They are seeing some miracles happen in their marriage. But you can see how this gets out of whack. Listen, success and wealth will never bring you happiness. It just won't. Listen, if you don't believe me, ask somebody who's successful or wealthy. They thought, if 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 I attain this certain level of success, I thought I would be satisfied. And I'm not. I'm thankful I'm successful. And listen, pursue success. Just don't put your hope in that. In fact, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, uh, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Don't put your hope in this. It's uncertain. But put your hope in God, the verse concludes, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So that's who we have to put our hope in, is in God, not in wealth. But we do. We put our hope in wealth, don't we? We put our hope in wealth, and, and we... Go into debt and we buy things that we can't afford to impress people we don't even really like. <laughs> don't do that. Okay, so there, here's another one. Here's another one. We'll put, we'll put Mary. Yeah, Mary and Joseph. So they're going to represent family, your marriage, your kids, relationships. That almost sounds biblical. Family first. And listen, I'm with you. I agree. Family should be a priority. But here's a little tip for you. Have you ever um, been hurt by people and other people who have the same types of people in their life are not affected? Part of the reason for that is you're putting a pressure on your family to play a role they were never intended to play. They can't play. That's only for God to play. Let let me give you an example. So when I first got into ministry, I started getting opportunities to preach out. And I would go preach at camps and conferences and marriage things and all these different events. And so I would leave, and sometimes I would leave for a week at a time, and I remember when my son was pretty young, my oldest son was young, and uh, he said, Dad, I don't want you to go. And I said, son, do you know why I'm going? And he goes, no. And I said, there's a group of people that don't know about Jesus, and I've got to go tell them about Jesus. And about four years old, he goes, I guess you should go then. Like, he got it. He got it. And so I go, and I'm preaching to a group of people, and then I will say to that group of people, listen, if I had my choice, I'd rather be home with my family. Like, I'd rather hang out with them than you. But I'm here because this is where God wants me to be this week. 
And then I get home and my family's not resentful and angry at me. You've been gone all week. They're not upset because they understand that that's where God would want me to be. And they don't find their happiness in me and I don't find my happiness in them. Now, are we a happy family? Sure. Am I happier when I'm around them? Absolutely. But that's not where we find our joy. Our joy, the Lord, is in our, is our strength. That's what Nehemiah 8.10 says. We find our joy in the Lord. We find our happiness in the Lord. I tell my wife, who's here today, I tell her all, every day, I say, I love you and you're beautiful. I love you, which are both true. But she's not waiting. For, I need to tell her that every day. But she's not waiting for that validation because she already knows that she is loved and that she is beautiful. Because God's been saying that it's true of her since the foundations of the earth, since she was formed in the womb. I'm just echoing and amening what God has already said is true. So I'm like, I love you. You're beautiful. She's like, I know. No, she doesn't say that. But right, I'm not. She's not waiting. I'm waiting for you to validate me. I'm not putting a pressure on her. She's not putting a pressure on me that is reserved for God alone. Does that make sense? Okay, I got one more. You're like, read, okay, I got it, I got it. Nope, I got one more. Now, some of your nativity sets, they have the animals that are separate. This one, this one, this sheep doesn't come off the shepherd, but just pretend like I got the sheep there. You're like, really? Really, read. (laughs) Who puts animals at the central focus of their life? I've seen your Instagram. Some of you do. (laughs) I had a a buddy who will remain nameless. I love you. And... uh, this week he posted a picture of his uh, dog in a Christmas costume. Don't do that. Please. Please. That, they, you think they enjoy it? They don't. They're miserable. Look at their face. They're miserable. Just stop doing that. <laughs> Just stop it. Your pet does not like you when you do that. Okay, so we're just going to say that the animal represents so much. We love, love, love our animals, but we're going to say they represent so much more than that. They represent everything that we love, our hobbies, our recreation. For me, it's football, your lake houses, and all those things are meant for our enjoyment. And God wants you to enjoy those things. He just doesn't want you to enjoy them more than you enjoy him. When you put your hope in a football team like the Dallas Cowboys and they lose 23 to nothing, they lose 23 to nothing. They didn't score a single point last week. What are you clapping for? <laughs> you can get down really easy, right? I had a guy last month say, man, I put my hope in, in the wins and losses, and I find my emotions are a roller coaster, as is our season. And I said, man, you're, you're taking a great thing too far. Like you're putting your hope in a 19-year-old. Think about that, right? I used to work over here on I-35 at Papacitos, and I loved working game days, waiting tables on game days, because the, the restaurant was packed. But I'm, I'm telling you, if you work in the restaurant industry, you know that I'm telling the truth, that on game day, if we won, easy 20 25% at every table. The tips were rolling. Everybody was in a good mood. If we lost, I was lucky to get 12. I'm like, man, I didn't throw the interception. I got to pay rent. Like, give me some tip, 15 at least, right? And, and what happens is, is we put other things in our lives, and, and it, it's a problem. You say, well, I, I go to church, read. I mean, I'm, I got a Bible in my hands. We pray before meals, but my life is a mess. Maybe, maybe it's just set up wrong. You know what I love about being a pastor? I love my job, by the way. What I love about being a pastor, uh, probably more than preaching, and I do like to preach, but I love just those private conversations I have with you in my office. 
I love sitting down with a couple or an individual and saying, you know what, your marriage and your family, this is where that goes. And your work, that's important. And that's where that goes. And money, you know, it's, it's not, a, not a bad thing to have money. Just don't let money have you. That's where that goes. That's what Jesus says about money. And I love day in and day out helping people put Jesus back at the center of their lives. That's what I love. And here's the thing. I don't even have to preach this to you. Life will preach this to you. If you put something else besides Jesus, you're just, your life gets out of whack, doesn't it? But if you put Jesus at the center, I'm telling you, not only does it look right, it works right. Not only does it look right, it works right. The Bible is incredibly practical, and I love that about the Bible. There's so many things about marriage and kids and stress and time and money and all this great advice in the words of these, these pages. One of my favorites is uh, in the New Testament. It's a, it's a very small book, just four chapters, a couple of pages in my Bible. You can read it in about 12 minutes. It's very practical teaching, except for chapter one. Chapter one's a little poetic. It, it's a little deep. And so people read it and they go, that's beautiful. I have no idea what I just read, but it's very beautiful, right? But it's the book of Colossians. And in chapter 1 at verse 15, there's a little subheading in my Bible. There's probably a subheading in your Bible. And I bet the subheading says something like the supremacy of Christ or the supremacy of the Son of God or the supremacy of Jesus. Meaning that, that Jesus is supreme. That he's supreme, that everything else in your life revolves around him. It's kind of like the sun in our solar system. We don't have a solar system if the sun's not there. Everything revolves around the sun. And in Christianity and the faith that we believe, we believe that Jesus is that central figure that everything else revolves around. So this is what Paul says in Colossians 1.15. He says, the sun, or Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That's the gift that we got at Christmas. God said, I I want you to serve me. But he was an invisible God and we can't serve something we can't see. So he said, I'll fix that. I'm going to robe myself in flesh and I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to live among you. I'm going to walk among you and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for the sins of the whole world. That's why he came. 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. That's why he came. But if his whole goal was just to die, he would have done that day one, but he didn't. He lived 33 years. Why? Why would you live 33 years? Because he wanted to experience life. He wanted to experience pain. He wanted to experience heart, heartbreak. He wanted to experience temptation. He wanted to cry some tears. He wanted to have some issues. He wanted to have some relational problems so that he could qualify to be your best friend. He wanted to be able to understand you and for you to be able to understand him. And he goes on to say this. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. They're they're created through Jesus and they're created for Jesus. He is before all things And in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. And that's the verse, that's the the phrase I want to camp out on for the, the rest of our time today. In him, all things hold together. This message today is dedicated to those of you who would say, Reed, I came in today and I have my Christmas sweater on. I got a smile upon my face. Somebody asked me at the door, how am I doing? I told them I was doing good, but the truth is my life is a wreck. 
Maybe it's just a part of my life that is in complete disarray, but it's not good. And I want to just say, maybe you have everything set up wrong. Maybe there was a place that Jesus was supposed to hold, but you've allowed something else to migrate into that position and play a role it was never intended to play. And that where, that's where it gets a little, a little dangerous. And you're like, okay, Reed, I think you're kind of convincing me a little bit. What's my next step? I love practical preaching. I get really frustrated when somebody motivates me and they don't give me a next step. So I'm going to give you a next step. All right, what do I do? What's the next step for me? Well, here's the first step that you have to do is that you have to invite Jesus to take his rightful place. And you have to invite him. He could barge right in and take his rightful place because it's his to take. But Revelation 3, it's it's an incredible passage that says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. He's a gentleman. And so he's never going to barge in. He's just going to knock. And for some of you, and you know who you are, he's been knocking a long time. What are you waiting on? Why not this Christmas say, you know what, I've tried putting everything else at the center of my life and it doesn't work. I'm going to give you a shot and open that door and let him in. I remember when I was uh, nine, I gave my heart to Jesus as my savior. I went to vacation Bible school and um, (laughs) they were talking about heaven and hell and hell didn't sound fun. And so I didn't want to go there. And so I was like, yeah, I'll give Jesus a shot. So I, I gave him my life because I wanted him to be my savior. And six years later, I remember I was at a, a, a winter retreat kind of a thing, a, a Christian encampment over the weekend with two of my childhood friends. You're at this small camp in the middle of nowhere. And I heard a message similar to this one. And I, I just remember thinking, God, you're not supreme in my life. Ah. I don't know that I ever made him Lord. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't know if I'd ever made him Lord. I'd made him savior, but I don't know that I ever made him Lord. And so I was questioning my own salvation in that moment. Now I had Jesus in my life. I went to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, but it was over here. I just don't know if I'd ever made him the central focus of my life. And I knew enough about church that I knelt down in that small chapel and I prayed a very simple, sincere prayer. And I just said something along the lines of God, I'm sorry and forgive me. I want to make you supreme. I want to make you Lord. I want you to come into my life and lead my life for the rest of my life. I'm going all in. And I have since then. Now, I, I, I still mess up. I still sin every day. My life is far from perfect but it's held together. And even when it starts to fall apart, I have an anchor to my soul. I'm telling you, it works. So you got to invite him. That's the first step. You've got to invite him. The second thing is you have to involve Jesus in every area of your life. So you have to invite, then you have to involve. Every area. Let me say it this way. Jesus doesn't want to be just your Sunday God. He wants to be your Monday God too. And your Thursday afternoon God and your Saturday night God. And I remember this being a novel idea for me. I don't know if that's novel for you. But I used to compartmentalize church at my faith and life. 
Because church was so different than life. The chairs were different. The windows were different. The music was different. They talked different. And so I compartmentalized my faith to this hour on Sundays and Wednesdays. And then I remember the light bulb going off for me and going, well, I can bring Jesus into every part of my life. And all I can tell you is it's changed every part of my life for the better. For the better. And the third step, so you invite, you involve, and you ignite. You ignite a fresh passion to know Jesus more. That's the final step. I just want you to ignite something. You know what I love about this time of year? Is we end the year and everyone is focused on the person of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the person of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And then one week later, we get a new year and a fresh start. And we get an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm making a resolution. This one's not going to be broken in February. I'm going all in this year. I'm going to make you the center of my life. Randy, if you'll come. My, my, my dream car is a Lamborghini. Uh, I will never own one. If you have one, I would love to test drive it for three minutes. You can, I won't even take it over 60. If you don't know what a Lamborghini is, it's the car in Dumb and Dumber. You know, that they, that they buy, and he's holding the IOUs, and he goes, 275000 Might want to hang on to that one, right? So it's that, it's that car. It's a beautiful car. So let's just say that I had a Lambo, and I had the keys. These are the keys to my office. But I had the keys, and I said, hey, test drive this for a year. Give me your keys to your Honda Accord. You can have the, the Lambo. You give me the Accord, and you drive it for a whole year. And then this time next Christmas, I say, hey, you can keep the Lambo or you can go back to the old Honda Accord. None of you going back to the Honda Accord. You know, I like that station wagon. No, everybody's keeping the Lambo, right? Why don't you test drive Jesus this year? Give him one year. But here's the catch. You got to go all in. Like you got you got to do all the stuff. You got to come to as many church services as you can. You got to read your Bible. I'm not talking about a chapter a day or a book a day. Just read something every day. Don't dust it up on Sundays. Pick it up throughout the week. Pray to him. Get involved in a life group. Come to start here. Let us help you discover your purpose. I want you to go all in. Jeremiah 29:13 says, "If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, with your whole heart." I, I want He's not playing hide and seek. He's not elusive. He wants to have a relationship with you and you'll find him if you'll seek him with all of you. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him. He wants a full commitment. When Jesus is asked in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? He says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's a holistic kind of a love. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. All the stuff that you worry about, where you'll live and what you'll eat, I'll take care of that. You just put me at the center. Your life will never make sense until Jesus is at the center of it all. Why don't you stand with me all over the building? Here's what I'd love to do. I'd love for every head to bow and every eye to close. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I want this to truly be between you and God alone. But I'm going to pray a prayer. And if this message was for you today and you say, Reed, (laughs) that's me. Jesus is not supreme in my life.
He's not the central figure. Something else at the center. There's something else at the forefront of my heart. I want you to pray this prayer with me. You just pray this under your breath. You don't have to do it really out loud in a big, bold way. I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Just say something along these lines. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for not putting you where you belong. At the center of it all. As a supreme being in my life. I believe that you came to earth. We're celebrating that this week. You died for me. You rose again. And by putting my faith in you. You give me eternal life in heaven one day. And abundant life on earth today. Come into my life. Be the Lord of it. Be supreme. And then just tell him you love him. Just thank him in your own personal way, right there where you're standing. Just tell Jesus how much you love him. God, we love you. You're so good. I love you, Jesus. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to just sing a song. And I I don't want this to be just another song. I'm guilty of that too, where they come off my lips. But I want these lyrics to come off your hearts. I want this to truly be your prayer going into the next few days that we're going to have a lot of stuff and a lot of you are going shopping as Pastor Brad asked you a minute ago right after service. But just for the next three or four minutes, can we just make Jesus the center of it all and put him right back on the place where he belongs? Let's sing together.